We acknowledge the Aboriginal people of Victoria, the First Nations, and offer respects to Elders, both past and present. Welcome to a new podcast series for carers by Kinship Carers Victoria. With a significant percentage of Victorians still yet to be vaccinated against COVID-19, Kinship Carers Victoria is keen to address any lack of confidence amongst carers in the safety and efficacy of the vaccines. In this podcast, KCV speaks to one of the country's leaders in the field, Associate Professor Margie Danchin, consultant paediatrician within the Department of Paediatrics, University of Melbourne, and Murdoch Children's Research Institute, or MCRI. Margie is Group Leader, Vaccine Acceptance Uptake and Policy at MCRI, and is an immunisation expert with over 10 years of experience in vaccine research and clinical work. She is also the current chair of the Collaboration on Social Science in Immunisation and has recently been running online training sessions to assist organisations in building confidence in COVID-19 vaccines for both staff and clients. Welcome, Margie, and thanks for your time today. What are the benefits of having the COVID-19 vaccine? So the COVID vaccines have a clear benefit uh, for people in terms of direct protection for themselves against both symptomatic illness, so having even a mild illness, but most importantly against severe disease. And what we mean by that is, you know, hospitalisation or even death. Uh, so it's critical that people protect themselves, especially as people get older. Um, and we have some recent data out from the United States that shows that, you know, people who are unvaccinated are at least six times more likely to catch COVID um, and about 11 times more likely to die from COVID if they're not vaccinated. So that direct protection is really critical. But of course, the other benefits of being vaccinated are to protect those people around us, uh, our loved ones and the people in the community, our work colleagues, and that's through uh, prevention of transmission. Now, these vaccines are not perfect at preventing transmission, but they do reduce it by about sort of 30 to 50 percent, so about, by about half. And I think that's really important for people to understand that it will really start to reduce transmission in the community as well, especially the more people that get vaccinated. And then, of course, the last benefit is just for us to, to get back to our normal lives, to be able to move around in the community more freely, to have freedom from lockdowns and, of course, for children um, to eventually not have to deal with school closures. So there are really lots of benefits, both from an individual point of view, but also for our whole community and society as a whole. Which are the recommended vaccines for children under 16, people aged 17 to 59 and people over 60? We don't have a vaccine yet for children under the age of 12, but for um, teenagers over the age of 12, so particularly between 12 and uh, 16, the mRNA vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine are recommended for the teenagers. And then over the age of 18 now, the program has finally opened up so that Pfizer, Moderna or AstraZeneca are offered to any adult over 18, which is just great news. For people over the age of 60, especially with the clotting syndrome that um, has been shown to be associated with the AstraZeneca vaccine, we know lots of people over the age of 60 have been reluctant to get the AstraZeneca vaccine. So they need to know now that they can go and get an mRNA vaccine. And at the moment, the gap between dose one and dose two 
for the Pfizer vaccine is three weeks and for Moderna it's four weeks, so very similar. And AstraZeneca, of course, it's six weeks. But the other really important thing for people to know is if they've had their first dose of AstraZeneca vaccine, the risk of the clotting syndrome is so incredibly low after the second dose. I think there have been only eight cases nationally in the program after a second dose of AstraZeneca vaccine. So I would also encourage people listening, if they've had their first dose of AstraZeneca, to go and make sure they get their second dose. What is the likelihood of adverse reactions to the different vaccines for older carers? And what are the possible symptoms? So it's important for everyone to be aware that vaccines, just like any other medicine, have side effects. And of course, the first ones we talk about are those local and expected sort of side effects. Uh, sorry, the local and systemic uh, side effects. So that includes things like a sore arm or um, those symptoms like tiredness or headaches or muscle aches. And they occur really commonly in the first one to two days after all the vaccines. Um, they're a little bit more common after the first dose of AstraZeneca and the second dose of Moderna or Pfizer. But in general, people just need to take some Panadol or some Nurofen. And there's a really terrific um, vaccine safety surveillance system that operates in Australia called Ausvac Safety, which actually looks in real time at how commonly these events are occurring in the community through a text messaging system through primary care, where people who receive the uh, COVID vaccines get a text message sort of three days, eight days and about 40 days after their vaccine doses. So we're able to actually monitor how commonly these side effects are occurring. And it's important for people listening to know that less than 1% of people um, actually need to see a doctor or go to an emergency department for these side effects. And actually very few people have needed to take days off work. So those common uh, side effects do occur very commonly and should be expected. In terms of the rarer side effects, these are the sort of rare but more serious side effects. The most, um, the one we talk about first is the severe allergic reaction or anaphylaxis. And fortunately, that is very rare. It occurs somewhere between one to five per million doses for all of the vaccines. It's about one per million with AstraZeneca and can be up to about five per million with Pfizer. But very rare, but something that obviously we look for and monitor closely in that first 15 minutes after a vaccine dose. And then in terms of other rarer side effects, with the AstraZeneca vaccine, as I said before, that clotting syndrome that was shown to be related, it's called TTS, which stands for thrombosis or clotting with thrombocytopenia or low platelets syndrome. Um, and this fortunately also is very rare. And the only risk factor that's been clearly shown is age. So the clotting syndrome does occur more commonly in people under the age of 60. Still very rare though, the risk is estimated to be about 2.4 per 100,000 or 24 per million. Whereas over 60, it's about 1.8 per 100,000 or 18 per million. So we're still talking about a very low risk. And now fortunately, we, are, we have a lot more information so that we can diagnose the clotting syndrome more quickly. We can treat it more quickly. And in fact, the mortality rate or the risk um, of having a really nasty outcome from this or dying is much, much lower than we originally anticipated. It's about five to six percent. So I would encourage people who are still thinking about the AstraZeneca vaccine to talk with their GP, but to realise that the risk of this sort of rare but serious 
side effect is something to know about, but but not to be overly concerned about. For Pfizer and Moderna, they also have common and expected side effects, as I mentioned. In terms of the rarer but more serious side effects, the main one for everyone to be aware of uh, is it's called myocarditis or inflammation of the heart muscle or pericarditis, which, which is inflammation around the heart. Now, this has been shown to occur more commonly in young people, particularly between the ages of 12 and 30, and it's more common in young men. So that the highest risk group is about um, young men aged between sort of 16 to 17. And the risk in that group is around 70 to 100 per million. So again, pretty rare. Fortunately, um, this is a self-limiting condition. There have been no deaths. And what normally happens is is a young man, particularly within sort of uh, two to three days after the second dose of the mRNA vaccine, so Pfizer or Moderna, can develop a little bit of chest pain or shortness of breath in particular, or they may feel like they've got a slightly irregular heartbeat. Uh, and we would recommend that they go and see their GP or go to an emergency department. And if myocarditis or pericarditis is diagnosed, these young people might need admission to hospital for one or two nights for some pain relief or some anti-inflammatory medication, but they've all made a full recovery. So it is a serious side effect that we're taking very seriously, um, but fortunately it's not as severe as the clotting syndrome with the AstraZeneca vaccine, um, but there's lots of ongoing monitoring. And of course, this is the side effect that we're also concerned may occur when the vaccines or, or if the vaccines are recommended for children under the age of 12. So we need a lot more information for that age group as well. And what is the likelihood of adverse reactions to the different vaccines for children and young people? And what are the possible symptoms? As I said, side effects after the vaccines in the first one to two days are really common. Uh, if it's something like a really sore arm or headache uh, or the child is feeling um, very lethargic, I would try um, Panadol or Nurofen first and fluids and rest. But obviously, if they're concerned about the child, then they should take them for medical uh, review, whether that's with a GP uh, or to an emergency department. But as I said, that's been needed very uncommonly in less than 1% um, of instances. Um, I've outlined some of those sort of rarer um, uh, side effects, so particularly for, for young people around if they develop some chest pain or shortness of breath or they may faint, then of course there is that risk of myocarditis and pericarditis and you'd want to have them reviewed. Are there any pre-existing medical conditions or other lifestyle choices which might increase the likelihood of an adverse reaction? And what questions should I ask my GP before getting vaccinated? In terms of um, reasons not to have a COVID vaccine, uh, they're actually very narrow. They include something like a severe allergic reaction to the first dose of a COVID vaccine, so they've already had one dose, or a severe allergic reaction to a component in the COVID vaccine. And that's something called PEG or polyethylene glycol. Um, and that's pretty rare. And somebody who has had a reaction to that uh, ingredient would know. And that is something that they would discuss upfront with their GP. So I mentioned those two because they are the only two reasons that someone can get a permanent medical exemption for uh, a COVID vaccine. But people may be concerned about other underlying medical conditions 
infections um, or if they have a lowered immune system or if they're immunocompromised or perhaps they've had um, an egg allergy in the past. None of these things mean that they can't be vaccinated. In fact, most of those underlying medical conditions mean that they're at higher risk of COVID illness or COVID disease um, and that prioritises their need for vaccination even more. And I mean things like underlying heart disease or, or certain lung conditions. Um, there's a whole list of sort of chronic medical conditions, diabetes, but we also know people um, who, are, who are obese are at higher risk or have high blood pressure um, from COVID illness. So if people are concerned about their own personal eligibility or a past history of perhaps a, a side effect to a previous, uh, a different vaccine, then really we would recommend they go and discuss this with their doctor, with their GP and talk through it. Uh, because as I said, there are very, very few reasons why someone can't get a COVID vaccine. So how do we know the vaccines won't have any long-term side effects? Yeah, the question around long-term side effects is one of the most common questions that we get asked. And what we can say to reassure people is we know from many years and, and looking at all of the, the current vaccines that are on the National Immunisation Program, that if a serious or rarer side effect is going to occur, it usually occurs within that six-week window after a vaccine dose. We don't see rare side effects turning up one, five, ten years later. Uh, and of course, as I said before, we have um, really robust vaccine safety monitoring systems in Australia through this Ausvax safety program. So we're constantly monitoring uh, in the community uh, for certain what we call vaccine safety signals or any potential side effects that may be occurring more commonly than the background rate. So what I mean by that is certain autoimmune conditions that people might be worried about, uh, that that the vaccines may trigger or may, or may occur more commonly. So that monitoring is ongoing all the time, but we just don't see these rarer side effects turning up, you know, many, many months or years later. So I, I would just reassure people as well that, believe it or not, at this point in time, more than 7.5 billion doses of COVID vaccine have been given globally. And here in Australia, we also have the opportunity to learn from the vaccine safety data internationally, from the US, from Europe, from the UK, and again, learning from their sort of monitoring and vaccine safety surveillance systems. So I think it's fair to say there's never been a vaccine that's been more scrutinised in terms of vaccine safety, and that if there were a rare signal, we would pick it up within that six-week window after a vaccine dose, and that monitoring is really ongoing here in Australia and globally. Some people are still contracting the COVID-19 virus, even though they've had a vaccine. Why is this? And should people still have the vaccine in any case? Well, unfortunately, having two doses of a COVID vaccine doesn't mean that you can't get infected with COVID. So you can still get infected again. What it does do is it gives you very uh, strong protection against becoming very unwell from COVID illness. And what we mean by that is the chance of needing to go to hospital or even dying from COVID. Um, so the protection from the current vaccines against severe disease is over 90%. 
Um, but unfortunately, people still can uh, potentially become unwell um, with COVID after being vaccinated. And the question now about booster doses, so do we need a third dose um, to boost our protection, again, against protection of, of just mild symptomatic disease, but severe disease, that question is being looked at now. And we know that people who um, have a lowered immune system might need that, that third dose and that's already recommended now more quickly to, to boost their protection. But there are other people who are in, you know, at-risk settings. So, for example, healthcare workers, people who are more likely to be exposed to COVID, they'll be prioritised for a third dose of COVID vaccine as well to try and really boost up that protection against severe disease in particular. I think it's important for people to realise that, unfortunately, just by having two doses of vaccine doesn't mean that they won't get COVID infection. What happens with children and young people when their carers and or parents contract COVID-19 and are unable to look after these children and young people? Yeah, this has been a really big concern of ours as paediatricians and we've seen in New South Wales particularly in their sort of big wave um, of Delta infection over the last few months that um, children who have tested positive for COVID but have very mild symptoms, very mild disease, have needed admission to hospital because one or both of their parents are severely unwell and admitted to hospital with COVID. Um, and, and that is a serious concern because what we know with COVID infection in children is that even with the Delta variant, it is still overwhelmingly a mild illness. Up to half of kids get no symptoms and the rest will develop symptoms that we see with many other viral infections. So a fever, a sore throat, fatigue, some headache, those sorts of symptoms. And about 1% of children will need admission to hospital. But even those kids who are admitted to hospital may only need to go for one night for a little bit of fluid or for some oxygen. And very few children need admission to intensive care uh, for, for more intensive treatment. So the risk of a child needing to go to hospital is actually quite low. Um, but if their parents are unvaccinated and get sick from COVID and need to go to hospital, then that is a serious concern and, and we are very worried about that. So the biggest message is that any parent or any carer who is unvaccinated needs to seriously consider going and getting vaccinated as soon as possible so that they can protect themselves from becoming seriously unwell so that they're able to be present to care for, for their children or the children in their care. So in summing up, Margie, what would you say to those people who are hesitant about getting the vaccine? Look, to anyone listening today and, and still who has questions about these vaccines and is, is worried about getting vaccinated, I would say go and find the trustworthy information that will answer your questions. There's a lot of information online uh, through both the, the government um, websites in, in Victoria and Commonwealth Government, but also through the National Centre for Immunisation Research and Surveillance or another website called MVEC, which is the Melbourne Vaccine Education Centre. Um, there's a website called VaxFax, which I've actually developed, which are short 90-second videos that answer a lot of these questions for people um, in a really nice, um, clear and simple way that people can share with family and friends and colleagues. 
Um, if you have questions about your own personal eligibility or your past medical history, please go and talk to your GP or, or immunisation nurse at your practice, any trusted healthcare provider that can talk through your concerns and really help you find the answers to your questions because there is absolutely no doubt that people really need to protect themselves from COVID. COVID is now becoming a disease of the unvaccinated um, and everyone will get exposed to COVID at some point and we just don't want people having severe disease. In Victoria at the moment, we know that 97% of the people who are admitted to intensive care unit with COVID are unvaccinated, 97%. Uh, and it's really heartbreaking for the healthcare workers who are looking after people um, to feel that this was potentially a preventable illness and a preventable admission to the intensive care unit. So. There's lots of great information out there. There's people who are willing to take the time to work through people's questions and concerns. So I'd really encourage everyone to, to try and, and do that and to go and get vaccinated. If you would like to watch the information videos from Professor Margie Danchin, visit mvec.mcri.edu.au forward slash COVID-19. For other information, go to the Kinship Carers Victoria website and click on the Vaccine Information tab. This podcast series is made possible through funding provided by the Victorian Government's Department of Health and Human Services.